people are in trouble, we should go to God. When people have needs, we should lift up their needs to God. Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. When we see people in trouble, when we hear of people in need, we should pray. We should pray to God for their deliverance and their rescue. May God bless the reading of His Word, the teaching of His Word, and may we be changed by His Word. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. And pause there, please. The story of uh, First Church of Jerusalem is something we've been investigating lately and studying lately. Remember on Pentecost, when the Spirit came and the church was born, uh, the Spirit came into the lives of the followers of Jesus, as, just as Jesus promised. And they preached the gospel. The gospel went out. Lives were changed as people heard of the need for Jesus as Savior and Lord. As they repented of their sins and they turned to Jesus in trust, in faith, they were saved. Uh, from that day forward, the church grew rapidly. We recall the stories of, of preaching and and the amazing stories of what God brought the apostles through and the church through, through tribulation and trial. But they kept preaching, and the, and the word kept going forth, and the word brought forth fruit. People were changed. Lives were changed. People were saved. The kingdom, people entering the kingdom, coming under the reign of God forever and ever and ever. Worshippers made by the power of the gospel. Persecution came. We, we looked at that a few weeks ago when the enemies of God, when the spiritual warfare came, uh, the church was scattered, persecuted, sent, sent far away, people dying for the name of Jesus Christ, martyrs made, um, terrible times, uh, all but the church, all, all the church scattered except, remember, the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. We don't know how they survived, how they made it. Uh, as the months turned into years, persecution probably died down a little bit. Uh, Saul was converted. Saul came to Jesus Christ. He, he, he became a follower and a preacher of Jesus. Uh, persecution settled down a little bit. Uh, probably the church that had gone to Judea and Samaria and run for their lives, they probably trickled back in as things settled down. Uh, it didn't mean that they were out of danger. It didn't mean that they were scot-free, that they could just go about their business and keep preaching. The fact of the matter was they still made enemies. They still offended people. They still uh, caused people anger by the bringing of the gospel, bringing of truth, calling people to repent of their sins, calling people to turn to Jesus, the one that they'd killed. Well, they were still hated. It says in verse 1, about that time, this is probably A.D. 44. The church has been around for a little bit now. Herod... Uh, 
he decided he was going to uh, maybe get some get some uh, some chips in his in his account, so to speak, from the from the Jewish people. He he arrested James, and it, sa- it says he laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Uh, we don't know how many that was. Maybe there were others that were killed, others that were imprisoned, others that were uh, suffering because of Herod the king. He laid violent hands, uh, and he killed James. James, this is not James, um, the one who wrote the epistle of James in your Bible. This is not the brother of Jesus. This is James, the brother of John, you know, sons of thunder. Remember when Jesus called them by the Sea of Galilee with his brother, they left the boats behind and they followed Jesus. It was a great moment. Now he's dead. Uh, this Herod, it's not Herod the Great. And I always get confused by this. It, it's, you know, some of these dynastic names where they have the same names for generations. It gets awful confusing. This is not Herod the Great, the one who, remember when uh, he heard the Messiah was born, the wise men came and, and to Jerusalem, Where, where's the Messiah? Where's the, where's the king of the Jews? Herod the Great was the one that slaughtered the infants. This is, Herod the Great was this Herod's grandfather. It was quite, you know, 40, 40 45 years earlier that happened. It's, it's not Herod uh, Antipas. Antipas, it's not this man. Remember when um, Jesus was taken uh, to trial and he stood before a Herod, Herod Antipas. Uh, Herod Antipas was the one who beheaded John the Baptist and that Jesus freak that was preaching, uh, preaching of the kingdom and preaching of repentance, and Herod took his head. It's not, that, that's not the Herod we're talking about. This is Herod Agrippa, Herod Agrippa I. Uh, he, he brings out the worst name in politicians, doesn't he? Like politicians that will do anything for popularity. It, you know, it's not a matter of right or wrong. It's not a matter of principle, but a matter of getting the votes. You know, we, we can't stand politicians when they do that. They take opinion polls, and whatever the best, you know, best for their career is, they, they chase that rabbit. Herod is apparently doing this. You know, to be a, a ruler under Rome, you really had to make sure that uh, there was nothing getting in the way of the taxes being taken, <laughs> nothing that got in the way of, of the money coming into the Roman Empire. So if you allowed uprising to take place, if there's trouble in the province that you ruled over, you could lose your job pretty quick. So he wanted to appease the local, the local power base. And he knew that the local majority of people, the local Jewish power base, the Sanhedrin, the ruling body in Jerusalem, they hated the Christians. They despised the Christians. They considered them a sect that was pulling the faithful away from Judaism, from the, from the traditions of the elders. And so when he found out that killing Christians was good business, he commenced the business. Uh, James died at Herod's hand, and, and, the, and the, the local people uh, you know, that were moving farther away from God's word and farther away from God's kingdom, they're applauding, and he says, yeah, well, I can do that again. Let's grab more Christians, and so persecution, it seems like another persecution is about to arise that something's coming about, bubbling up here. Hey, let's find another apostle. Let's find some more leadership and, and take, off, take off the leader. Let's decapitate the leadership, and maybe this, this scourge of Christianity will go away. So he arrests Peter, and, and uh, you know, it, it's, it's no clue, it's no mystery what he's going to do to him. He's going to bring him out to a show trial. Yeah, let's put him on trial. Let's see if he's guilty. Well, of course they're going to kill him. 
right? That's not a question. Herod's going to take his life, but not during the Passover, not during the festival of unleavened bread. It was a big deal for the Jewish people, and still is today, Passover, remembering how God brought them out of Egypt. Remember back in Exodus 12, 13, 14, if you read that, how how when they were running, uh, trying to get out of Egypt, God told them to take the blood of, of the lamb and put it on the doorpost. And when the angel of death comes, the angel will pass over and keep your, your firstborn alive. So they celebrated the Passover, right? And then they celebrated immediately the, afterwards the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The story of the unleavened bread, right, in that same section. They didn't have time to put yeast in their bread because they were running. They left Egypt in haste. So for seven days, they'd celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Couldn't have any yeast in your house. It was part of the tradition. So he arrested Peter at some point during the festival. We don't know, five days, three days, how long Peter's in prison. Uh, But they didn't want to desecrate the festival, right? So immediately after, uh, the idea is, then we'll have the trial. And we'll kill him. So Herod puts him in prison, you know, four squads of four soldiers. Uh, it, it seems like uh, there's 16 soldiers. Maybe they're going on a shifts, so three-hour shifts or whatever, or six-hour shifts or whatever, you know, to guard him. He's, he's, he's in trouble. He, he doesn't have, it's a hopeless situation. He's going to bring him out soon. And, and what does the church do when people are in trouble? What does the church do when the brethren have needs? Where do we go? Well, we call Channel 5 News. We say, hey, let's get some light on the situation. Let's, let's get the media involved. Let's hire a PR team. Let's call in the lawyers. Yeah. Let's make a bunch of signs and protest. Go, let's go outside of Herod's palace. Hey, let him free. Let him free. <laughs> And if that doesn't work, I guess we have to pray. You know, this passage is here, like many other passages that God gives us in His Word, to teach us to pray first, to go to God first, to believe that prayer is powerful. The only way to fight for Peter at this point is to pray. The only only way to overcome Peter's chains is to pray. Because only one is powerful enough to save Peter, the Lord God Almighty. It's a prayer of dependence. It's a prayer of power. It's a prayer of intercession for somebody in need. Uh, We as a church need to be praying for one another who are in need. We're called to be, and I, I don't like the term necessarily, but we say it, prayer warriors to pray for one another constantly and consistently, wrestling in prayer, fervently praying for one another, bringing each other before the throne of God for deliverance and rescue and salvation. Um, we, we don't often do it. We sometimes feel like we're too busy to do it, or maybe it's not going to accomplish what we want it to accomplish, and so we take matters into our own hands. We, we do. We try to work it out ourselves. We, we try to 
work all the angles, all the things we can control, and all the things that we can uh, come up with, all the solutions. Well, if we try this or we try that, maybe that'll help. And God consistently says, pray. <laughs> pray for the needs. Uh, we, we, we see here that there's obviously something going on in Acts where uh, whenever, whenever the Christians go out, whenever they are preaching Jesus, whenever the gospel is being shared, proclaimed, announced, whenever Jesus is lifted up as the Messiah, there's opposition. It, it doesn't stop. Uh, whenever there is Jesus lifted up as the Lord, as the Savior, even today there's going to be offense taken. Because uh, when we tell people that they need saved, it's obviously implying that they have a problem with God, that they've sinned against God, that they've done something that's wicked or wrong or outside of God's will, that they need, they have a problem with sin, they have a problem with evil that they need delivered from and rescued from. Uh, whenever we bring the gospel to people's minds or we bring it before them, that you need Jesus Christ. He's the only way for you to be saved. There's no other name given unto men by which we must be saved. <laughs> the exclusive way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. Man, that's pushing all kinds of buttons. That's offending people all over the place. Uh, they have their religion. They have their way. And we are saying by preaching Jesus and Jesus alone that their way isn't the right way. Offensive. We are saying that they have a problem with sin, that they need rescued from their evil, from their wickedness, from their offense to God, from their, from their uh, rebellion against God. That's offensive. Wherever you go, when, with the gospel, even though it's a gospel of peace, even it's a gospel that, that brings people to salvation, even though it's a saving gospel, even though it's true, it's going to make people mad because when people, when their sons and daughters believe that gospel and they leave the traditions of the family, when, they're, when, they're, when their loved ones believe the gospel and entrust themselves to Jesus, they're necessarily giving uh, notice that they're leaving the idols that their family worships behind. Uh, it just again and again, if, if Jesus, the truth, the way, the life, to call people to that, it creates division, and it, creates, it, it, it brings about uh, uh, separation, and people get angry. And people respond in angry, divisive ways. And so we come under attack. Uh, I, I sometimes, my, my job as a preacher is to convince you to follow Jesus Christ. My job as a preacher is to convince you, uh, to, to persuade you by the Spirit's power, by the grace of God, to bring the Word of God to you that tells you to go and share Christ, that, you know, to, to go be a bearer of, of Jesus' message, to be a witness, to be an ambassador. And, and I know the consequences of this. If you are faithful to believe Jesus' command and follow Jesus' command and obey Him, you will, sooner or later, offend people. And you will sooner or later face opposition. And there will be a point if we are preaching the gospel, if we are making people aware that there's no other way to be saved, that Jesus is the only way to be saved, and then if you aren't saved, you're going to be judged by God, um, they might react violently, negatively, bring persecution. I, I'm aware of that, and it's a burden, but what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to obey Jesus. We're supposed to obey the commandment. We're supposed to follow the Lord no matter what. But we realize therein 
that there would be trouble coming our way if we're faithful to the task. Uh, we, we stop and we say the world, the governments might oppose us. Now, we are so blessed in this country, aren't we? We've been so blessed for so long. We live in an environment of freedom of speech, freedom of religion. You know, we wonder sometimes if some of those, those, some of those, those, those uh, you know, pillars are eroding, that maybe we're not as safe as we once were, and we don't know whether political winds are going to blow, but what kind of laws are going to be made. Uh, we, we can certainly be part of our democracy, our republic, to uh, affect those kind of things and, and, and bring about certain laws instead of other laws. But man, we've been so blessed, and so we haven't normally faced the persecution like this. And yet, uh, there's people in our church whose families have disowned them because of Jesus. There's people in our church who have been threatened with losing their jobs if they preach Jesus. There, there's all kinds of maybe more subtle uh, ramifications and consequences of being faithful to Jesus Christ. And so the reality is if we become this church that's truly faithful and uh, obeying Jesus, we become this mission church, this sent church, this people that are so, so enamored with God and we love Him so much and we follow Him no matter what and we, we start caring for people and loving people so much that we don't want to see Him go to hell. And we become faithful and we're preaching, we're teaching the Word of God, we're calling people to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, the reality is we will suffer, be persecuted at some point. So this, pa this passage, this teaching is here to say, what do you do? <laughs> you pray when people have needs. You intercede for the people that suffer. It's, suffering is Jesus suffered. Why wouldn't his servants? Jesus suffered. Why wouldn't those who follow him suffer? It's okay to suffer. Suffer the loss of all things. It's not terrible. It's reality. But what do we do when we suffer? We pray. So what did the church do? What, what did the first church of Jerusalem uh, do? Verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Peter was kept in prison, and he looked hopeless. It looked terrible. There was no way out. Sixteen soldiers <laughs> under Herod's guard. But earnest prayer was made to God by the church for Peter. You start, you start uh, you know, thinking about prayer. Prayer really shows us who we are, doesn't it? And it shows what we think about God. Uh, when, when I think about my, when I start praying, it's, it's an acknowledgement of my weakness. You know, if, if, I, if, I couldn't, if I could rescue Peter, if I could go in there and, you know, Hollywood would make this kind of a, a Rambo movie, right? Like they, they get the teams together, they get the, the, the squad together, the ninjas together, and they'd go in there and they'd take out the guards kind of deal. Uh, no, I, it's not me. I pray because I'm not in control. I pray because I'm not powerful. I pray because I am weak. I pray because I can't rescue, I can't save, I can't deliver. But I know someone who can. When we pray, we acknowledge that God is powerful. When we pray, we acknowledge that He has authority. When we pray, we acknowledge that He has all the might. 
We pray unto God because where else would we go? Isn't it, a, isn't it an amazing thing that through Jesus, through the blood of Christ, His sacrifice, we've been justified by our faith in Christ, we've been justified, declared righteous by God. We've been reconciled to the Father. We, we have this access now, this relationship with God where He invites us to the throne, to the throne of all eternity, the throne of all the universe. We get to go into the presence of Almighty God. He wants to hear our prayers. He calls us to petition for our needs. He calls us to intercede for the needs of others. Wow. Our lack of prayer probably says something about what we believe. Our prayer probably says something about what we believe. The church, they went to God when Peter was in trouble. They went to God when he was in need. They brought Peter's needs before God. Uh, it says the church prayed. Uh, we, we are reminded by uh, different scriptures the power of united prayer. Uh, at 8 o'clock on Sunday mornings, a group gathers uh, to pray, the intercessors group. They bring themselves before God here at the church in dependence upon God, calling upon God for different needs that are going on in our congregation and in our world. Um, the church united, and we don't know how many people there were there, uh, but they came together united, and, and, and Matthew tells us, you know, it's, it's an easy one to remember, Matthew 18, 19, and 20. Matthew chapter 18 Verses 19 and 20, God's promise, a word of God, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them, Matthew 18, 19, and 20. Uh, there's something special about united prayer when the brethren gather and I'm so thankful for all the prayer in this church, in the community groups that gather, in the Bible studies that gather, in the homes that gather together during the week, in the ministries that gather, the youth group, the children's ministries, the college ministry, all the different people that gather that pray week in and week out. It's a powerful thing when we unite in prayer because God is present there. And we bring the needs before the throne of grace. What a powerful thing, what an, an impactful uh, practice prayer is. Can you imagine anything greater than, than bringing, more powerful, more effective than bringing needs of one another before God? We can approach the throne to find grace in our time of need, to find mercy in our time of need. Wow. Who else could do what God can do? Nobody. What can be accomplished outside of, that can be accomplished through prayer? Nothing like can be accomplished through prayer. It says here in verse 5 that they made earnest prayer. 
Uh, some of your translations, I think, say fervent prayer. Uh, it's a word that means straining. It, it, it means maybe some, some, another way of saying it is long-suffering or, or keep-going prayer. Uh, we don't know how long this prayer meeting lasted. Again, Peter might have been in jail for three days. It might have been one day. We don't know. But they, they, they strained in prayer. They wrestled in prayer. Now, it's, it's not like the pagans. Our, our prayers aren't like the pagans where we go, we go to prayer and we try to wear God down or something like that. Or we try to make Him do what we want kind of thing. That, that's not our prayer. But there's this, this, this deep longing to see Peter's needs met, this, this zeal that comes about knowing that he needs help. And so there's this love involved, there's this zeal, this passion that perseveres in prayer until something happens and something changes, until the prayer is answered. Uh, are you, uh, it, it's a picture of prayer as work. Let me just, along those lines, uh, take you to a passage that kind of highlights that. Uh, Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. Now think about this and, and understand this. Epaphras, who is one of you, so Paul's writing to a church, and Epaphras came from the church to minister to Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. Epaphras struggled in prayers, and uh, some of your translations say he wrestled in prayer. So for what end, for what purpose, for what outcome, that you may, you, you, you the church, uh, I think, uh, if I remember right, it's, it's Ephesus, but... Uh, so that the church would become mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Uh, he's away from his church, but he's wrestling for the people in the church in prayer. He's going before the throne of God. And, and one of the things that people understand about prayer is that uh, it's work. The, the word wrestling there or struggling, it's, it's the word we get agony from. The Greek word, it, it, it's based on the, uh, we, agony. It's this, this, this heartfelt, strong work going before the throne of God. And uh, Epaphras, the church uh, in John Mark's house, praying for Peter, enduring, fervent, straining prayer because they love Peter so much and they want to see him delivered. And they're bringing again and again their petition, their intercession before the throne to the one who can accomplish the will of God. What a, what a, what a big deal. So, some people say, well, I don't have anything to offer the church. You know, the gifts I have, I haven't found where to use them yet. I, I don't know what I can do for the church. And, and these kind of passages just scream to me, pray. <laughs> could, could it be that your prayers are the greatest work you could do in the kingdom of God? Could it be that your work of prayer, your petitions, your intercessions, could be changing people's lives eternally? Could result in, in lives being changed 
e even towns being changed, <laughs> even, and even communities being lifted up from the brokenness of addiction and, and corruption and greed and evil. What could happen if God's saints pray? A lot. Because our prayers aren't powerless. They are going to the throne of God. And if God says yes, if God answers our prayers, things will be changed. For Peter, prayer was made for him, earnest prayer. The, the church was praying. What, what happened to Peter? Perhaps you know the rest of the story. It's rather intriguing and exciting and fascinating. Verse 6. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. Sentries before the door were guarding the prison. <laughs> and is, can you imagine? You're about to be executed the next day. You know, maybe you're thinking, man, I'm going to die tomorrow. And what's Peter doing? He's snoring away. He's sleeping because he's at peace. He knows the peace of God. He knows if he dies, he's going into the presence of Jesus. He's safe. He's content. He's at rest. What can they do to me? <laughs> I've already died with Christ. I've already been raised with Christ spiritually. I leave all these things behind. To, to, to die is gain. So he rests contently, maybe snuggling up against a guard. So he's, he's there between two soldiers. And, and oftentimes, Romans would uh, chain a, a prisoner to one soldier. But Herod, this is his prize. So he's got two soldiers, one on each side, and he's got sentries. Peter's not getting out. Ha, 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 ha. Verse 7, Behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. <laughs> hey, you bum, get up. <laughs> I don't know. Let's go. The angel said to him, verse 8, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. He's probably groggy and what's going on. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and he did not know what was being done by the angel, if it was real, but uh, he thought he might be having a vision. <laughs> like maybe some, some of you this morning, as you realize the time changed. What? Church? Okay. And then here you are. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angels real. He thought he was seeing a vision. Verse 10. And when he had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading in the city. It opened for them of its own accord. The angel did it. And they went out and went along the street. And immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people what they were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the, the mother of John, whose name was Mark. Uh, Luke brings Mark into the story here because he, in future passages, he's going to be talked about, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. So it's probably a big house. Uh, there were no church buildings back then. There were no facilities like this for the church to meet. So they'd meet in people's houses, usually wealthy people's houses, because they had lots of room. This, this house, there's a gateway. There's an outer gate and an inner door, right? So it's, it's a courtyard. It's a big place. Probably a lot of people had gathered there to pray. The servant girl, Rhoda, <laughs> goes there. 
Rose goes there, recognizing Peter's voice. In her, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and, and they kept saying, it's his angel. Uh, in, in, in a Jewish uh, superstition, there is an idea of guardian angel, that there was an angel that sometimes would reflect a person's personage uh, in such a way that they would look like the person. And if, if, uh, if a person died, their angel would show up sometimes in a vision. And so this give, gives birth to the idea that when people die, they get angels' wings or something like that. It's, no, you don't become an angel when you die. You don't get angels' wings, nothing like that. It's superstition. Uh, so that this is a, he's re- reflecting the superstition that, that you have this, this angel or something. And we don't know. Maybe God does assign angels to watch over individual angels. But anyway, hey, it's his angel. In other words, he's dead. Rhoda, he's dead. Why are you you joshing us? Why are you messing with us? You're crazy, Rhoda. He's dead, which is is rather ironic. (laughs) Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. He said to them, tell these things to James. So, So James, the brother of Jesus, who became a leader of the church, who wrote the epistle of James. Tell it to James and to the brothers. So the leadership of the church, tell them he departed and went to another place. What, what a great moment. You know, God answers prayer. God, this whole passage is saying they got in trouble. Peter got in trouble. What did the church do? They prayed. God answered their prayer. Right? And so it's this very straightforward teaching that God answers prayer. We should pray when we're in need. When the brethren are in need, when the brethren are in hospital, when sister is sick, when brother is, is having financial problems, when, when, when something is, somebody's under attack in our church, something's going on, we pray. We pray for one another. We intercede for one another because we're taught to do that in this very dramatic way. Uh, so I find it very, very wonderful. When, when you think about the scriptures, do you realize that other religions have scriptures and have you ever read some of those other scriptures? They, 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 they massively involve themselves in hagography, I guess you'd say, uh, making someone a saint who maybe not is a saint. They, they massively set their heroes up to always be heroes, never see their warts, never see their, their problems. The Word of God is so trustworthy and reliable. One of the reasons we know it's trustworthy, it, it's not afraid to paint, its, to show its, its heroes flawed. In other religions, they're always whitewashing. Uh, in their scriptures, they're whitewashing, making everybody pure and holy, like, oh. And so we see the church gathered, and ironically, they're praying for Peter's salvation, for Peter's rescue, for Peter's deliverance. But here are, are probably some leaders of the church who are praying, but they don't believe their prayer is going to be answered <laughs> in the way that they hope. And so it's, it's just this very humbling, but very, very warm kind of story of, wow, ironically, they're praying and they don't believe it's going to happen, but God answers prayer. And so it's preaching to us again, God will answer our prayers. And th- there becomes some of the rub, though, right? Uh, we, we struggle with prayer, even though we see these stories and we, yeah, okay, duh, Jeron, I know that I'm supposed to pray when brethren are in need. And I say to you, why aren't you praying for brethren who are in need? I know I'm supposed to pray, Jeron. I know the Word of God tells me to pray for my brothers, brothers and sisters who are in need. And I say, why don't you? Uh, well, 
That's a good question. We, 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 we struggle with prayer for a variety of reasons. We live in a cause and effect world, typically, don't we? Like we put a, a quarter in the machine and it does something. We put a letter in the mail and usually the mail gets there. I am so impressed by our, our, our male people, our, our male men, our male women. They are out in those blizzards this winter. Wow, impressive. Like the cause and effect world. We trust our, our, our mailmen to, get the, to deliver the letter. We, we, we do something in this world and we instantaneously, we push a button and we get coffee, right? But prayer, it doesn't usually happen in that, that, that quick, right? We, we live in a, a, a world that's cause and effect, but prayer seems to be hit or miss for us. We, we also struggle with prayer because it doesn't come the way we want it to come. Uh, answers don't come the way we want them to come, right? We, we pray for something, and God says, not yet. We, we pray more, and God says, not yet. We pray for years, and God says, not yet. And then one day, he finally says, yes. Like, if you, if you kept reading, I don't have time to go into it, but the death of Herod, uh, verses, verses 20 through 25, uh, 24, are, very, are, are really kind of cool. Like, uh, God finally took Herod out, uh, Herod Agrippa out, in a, fat, in a, in a wild way. Uh, but why did he do it so slowly? Um, because, verse 24, it says, but the word of God increased and multiplied. God had a purpose in waiting. God had a purpose in taking, you know, when, when James was arrested, I guarantee that the, 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 and they started attacking the church, the church was praying, God, take Herod out, remove this evil ruler. And he waited until after James's death, and he waited probably till others died. He took Herod out at his own timing because God had a sovereign purpose that he didn't tell the church. The outcome, because God's perfect plan was the word of God increased and multiplied. In other words, because of the timing of Herod's death and how it happened, more people heard the gospel preached and more people responded to the gospel than would have been otherwise. Sovereign God knows what he's doing, but we don't, we don't get that. We, we, God, says, God says no sometimes. Like we've prayed for people that have been in a hospital with cancer and stuff, and they've died. We're like, what? Yeah. They probably prayed for James, and he got killed. They prayed for Peter, but Peter got out. And so we, sometimes it's like, oh, God, I, you confuse me sometimes. Like there was this gal um, she was at work, and she got a call that her, uh, her, her daughter was sick um, with a fever. The babysitter called, hey, you got to get here. Your daughter's sick. you got to do something. So she went to the pharmacy. She got off work early, went to the pharmacy. She went and got, you know, the, you know, got a hold of the doctor. They, they sent some medicine, you know, that whole, that whole rigmarole. Some of your parents know nothing about that this winter. It's just happened so much. Um, so you picked up the, the prescription. She went out to the car. Oh, our keys are locked in the car. Calls the babysitter, hey, the babysitter's saying, you got to get here, your kid's getting sicker, she's stressing out, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Babysitter, hey, look for a, a hanger. Is there, a, you got a hanger? You know, you could open the window like that, and, and uh, she looks around, and sure enough, there's a rusty old hanger out there. Maybe someone else <laughs> had the grake in the car, kind of deal. So, so she, she's looking at, she's looking at the hanger, I don't know how to do this. She said, God, send help. God, send help. And within five minutes, this biker rolls up. This greasy biker, this, this dirty biker, you know, he's got this, this skull thing on and he's, he's got all the tats and he's not looking very welcoming 
right? And, and she's like, God, he, I asked for prayer. I asked for help. You sent me him? But the guy says, hey, lady, you need some help? And she said, yeah, if you could help. You know, she explained, and can you, can you get in my car? He says, sure. So he takes the hanger, you know, within a minute he's broken in. And she, she starts sobbing. She gives him a hug, and she says, thank you. You're such a nice man. And she said, lady, I'm not a nice man. I got out of jail two hours ago. I've been in prison for stealing cars. And the lady says, in sobbing, she reaches out and hugs him again, and then she proclaims, thank you, God. You sent me a professional. <laughs> How awesome is God, right? She didn't think that God's way was the right way, and God always does it the right way. In His timing, according to His purposes, in His maybe He needed to use that biker to bless that biker in some fashion, in some way, that wasn't related to her need. Sovereign God works on things that are so much higher, so much, ways that are so much higher than our ways. And sometimes we say, God, why don't you answer? And we don't understand that God is, is, is working on bigger fish. He's, he's at building bigger things. He's accomplishing bigger purposes and bringing about bigger outcomes than we can ever imagine. But we, 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 we don't trust Him sometimes because we pray for something specific, and we should pray for specific things. Let Peter out of prison. Sometimes our prayers are so mushy or so all over the map. Have we ever asked for anything in our prayers? Pray specific prayers. But when we pray specific prayers, sometimes they come in ways that we, we, we don't understand, we don't get, and we get frustrated. So, so we end up maybe not praying. Or maybe our, our minds get so wrapped up in the sovereignty of God. Like, I don't understand why I should pray. Like, He knows everything already. I don't understand why I should pray. It's not like I'm bringing new information to him. I don't understand why I should pray all this foreknowledge stuff, and he has plans from eternity. He's obviously got a plan. Why should I pray? We, we get wrapped up in that, and, and, and we don't pray. But did, did you see when we read in Colossians, Epaphras wrestling in prayer to make them mature? And, and, and even, even 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I mean, just, just the, the proof, the evidence that prayer changes things. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. God allows things to happen so we'll depend on Him. God doesn't just let things happen just willy-nilly. He calls us to pray, he, calls us, he brings about circumstances so we'll realize that we need Him, that we depend on Him, that we trust in Him. And, verse 10, He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Paul's saying, God is the one we're depending on, but your prayers rescue us. Your prayers deliver us. You, we're depending on God. We're depending on you. You've got to pray, church. So there's this thing where we, we get messed up. We don't understand his timing. We, we, we don't understand why he listens to us. Why, why, why should he listen to our prayers? I don't know. He does. He's sovereign, and he calls us to pray. He's sovereign, and prayer changes things. Our calling as a church, when it comes to this matter, is to depend on God, to bring 
the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ before the throne of grace. It's, it's, it's just something we are to do regularly, religiously, passionately, zealously. We bring needs to God, and then we entrust the outcome to Him. We'd like to specify, it should go like this, it should look like this, it should happen this way, it should walk in a certain way that I want it to walk in. And God says, do you trust me or not? Who is your God? Who is the one you pray to? The one that I know, who I pray to, that the Bible says you pray to, is Almighty God, who is all-wise, who is all-good, who doesn't miss any information. He's not confused by anything. But He takes our prayers. He takes our petitions. He takes our intercessions. Amazingly, He listens. And somehow, some way, He tries to make his plan come about by using our prayers. And he does. But when we pray, this might help you. We bring the needs of one another before the throne. We bring our own petitions before God. But then once we turn it over to God, let's trust that he knows what he's doing. Let's trust that he loves us and he's going to bring about the best end at the best time. That he's going to take our prayers, weak as they are, insufficient as they are, lacking as they are, and he's going to make a good judgment about how to answer our prayers. Trust him with the outcome. Don't make it hard, don't make it difficult, don't make it complicated. God says pray. To the best of your ability, bring your prayers before God in love for people, wanting the best for people, to rescue people, to bring people's needs about, to serve people, to advance the gospel, to see lives change, to see communities change. Bring them before God. Turn them over to God, knowing that He is good. He's loving. He can bring about the best end possible in the scope of eternity, in the scope of the next 10 years, in the scope of the next month. Trust Him. Don't stop praying. Bring the needs of the church before the throne of God. Pray without ceasing. God calls us to be prayer warriors be prayer ambassadors, be prayers, prayerful people, pray, praying powerful prayers because prayer changes lives. Please stand in the presence of God as we go. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for letting us gather with you today, for meeting us here to let us worship you. Thank you, Lord, for your, your presence here. We, we hope that our worship has been pleasing to you. We've honored you with our, with, our, with our songs, with our offerings, with our attention, with our prayers, with our love for the saints. We, 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 we praise you today, and may you be magnified. Thank you, Lord, for, for sending us out as, as, your, as your servants, as your witnesses, as your people, and may the world be changed according to your plan and your purposes, and may we see lives changed by your power, by your work, in answer to our prayers.
Send us now, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.